Christmas. The light, not the lights, but the light of Christmas. And let's pray. Father, I love you today, and I'm privileged to have this moment to share. And I mean that in my saying this to my church family. I am so honored that they would come and give me this time to speak to their lives. And I'm going to pray that the word of God that you have shared with me, I pray will be readily received by every person under the sound of my voice today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Now, I'm going to preach in a little bit different style today, so I'll probably be just slightly calmer. Slightly calmer. However, I'm also going to make sure that I'm turning to, I've got a lot of passages of Scripture. And the reason why I'm doing this, I'm going to take you on a journey that's going to validate this that you see on the screen behind you. Miss Angie, and I want to say thank you to Angie and Jarrett and anybody that's ever in that booth. Now, we often celebrate these that are in front, but it takes sometimes people in behind and to help us do what we do here. And I have a brand new B-I-B-L-E that I sought out, searched after, and yes, of course it is the authorized version. And so I'm going to be turning through the pages because I want to actually read it here more than I do want to read it on the screen. And the only thing I'm giving myself this um, precursor to is this, that the pages are still stuck together. Now, I've got an excuse for the pages of mine being stuck together because I've just had this Bible less than one week. But when you've had your Bible for six years, we'll just, let's go on right there. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2, verse number 25. Luke's Gospel, this is the part of the narrative of the birth of Jesus. Luke casts a different light, takes us further. The birth of Jesus is not confined to just one particular day in Scripture. But there are components, such as the visit by the Magi, that certainly we know could have taken two to three years after its birth. So I'm not just looking at that one particular element, but it's connected to it. So this is the account where the, this is 40 some odd days after Jesus' birth. After eight days, he was named in Jerusalem, making the journey from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, where he was named and circumcised. But a woman, according to the Mosaic law, was declared unclean after the birth of a child, for 40 days. And then at the end of 40 days, they would come and they would present that child to the Lord. In this passage here, or they would make an offering unto the Lord. This is what's taken place in this particular passage. They have traveled back from Bethlehem to Jerusalem where they have made an offering unto the Lord. And so they're in the temple area, most likely in the court of the women that we're going to allude to in just a little while. Now, if you like a little bit of biblical history and history itself, you're in the right place today. So you got to stay with me because I'm going to give you a lot of information, but I think you'll see a portrait being, uh, you know, painted in front of you if you'll hold with me in this mindset. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. There was an expectation in his heart of the coming of Messiah, as there was in many of those that dwelt in Jerusalem during that particular time. But the Spirit of God was upon him. He had an understanding because it was revealed to him, look at this, 26 verse, by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. That meant that the Spirit of God directed him to go into the temple and find the parents of Jesus. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus 
to do for him after the custom of the law. Then took he him up in his arms. So Simeon interrupted this particular part of the service of the dedication of the child and the cleansing of Mary after childbirth and takes Jesus out of the arms, most likely of Mary, and, and blesses God, holds, him in her, holds this little uh, infant in his hands and blesses God, worships God, and says these words, Lord, now let thou thy servant depart in peace. Now let me die, in essence, because this is what I have waited for according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. So you have to remember, he is prophetically declaring this. He's speaking it to all those that were around him. Now, we also know just in the very next paragraph or two later, we'll see that Anna, a prophetess of many years, comes in and in essence does the same thing, prophesies of the birth of the Messiah. So as we're reading it, you have to understand that uh, Simeon is not only speaking this to Joseph and Mary, and part of this is a confirmation of the word of the angel that had been spoken in the ears of Mary uh, nine months earlier. And, but he's also prophesying it to all that are listening in the temple that day. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Notice this, a light to lighten the Gentiles. Notice that, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now, when Simeon said those words, a light to lighten the Gentiles, then surely it would have resounded in the ears of those that were around him that knew of some of the messianic promises made in the word of God. For there was great expectation for the coming of Messiah at that particular time, especially because, as we talk so often around here, because we try to read the New Testament in its first century cultural uh, experience because of the oppression of Rome, because of the heavy hand of the Roman government upon the little nation of Israel, the people were sighing. They were crying out, almost like in the days of the Exodus under the heavy hand of Pharaoh when they longed for a redeemer. The people were hoping and longing, and many were searching and looking and even waiting, and thus was Simeon, the aged man of God, with a revelation that, that Christ had been born. And when he says these words here, he is actually quoting or alluding to a messianic prophecy made in the book of Isaiah of the coming of a Messiah. And I want to go back to that just very quickly. So if you are willing to follow with me in your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter number 42 and there we're going to see we're going to read in Isaiah 42 verse number 6 one verse and then one verse in Isaiah 49 verse number 6 and remember the prophet Isaiah is writing 700 years earlier but all throughout his writings we have the glimpses of the Messiah the promise of the Messiah the promise of one that is to come it's Isaiah is the one that has told us unto us a child would be born unto us a savior would be given it's Isaiah who told us that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. It's Isaiah who prophesies here that the Lord, he said, I, have, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and will give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. So Isaiah is prophesying to Israel, but he's not also prophesying to Israel, he's prophesying through Israel of the coming of one that would be given not only to Israel, but to the Gentiles, a light to the Gentiles. And perhaps it's said just a little bit more, uh, uh, I don't want to say better, but in essence a little bit more uh, clarity in the sixth verse of the 49th chapter. So walk there with me very quickly. 
And once again, Isaiah is referring to the Messiah. And we see this, and that's one of the parts that we have to do in trying to rightly divide the Word of God when you're reading those Old Testament prophecies of Messiah to be able to distinguish what's written to Israel and then what's written through Israel. Because Israel is called Son of God the same way that we call Jesus Son of God. And sometimes the narrative explains itself and lets us know that he's not talking about Israel, but he's talking about the Messiah who would come through Israel. He would come to Israel, but he would also come through Israel because he would be born of a Jew. It says in the sixth verse, and he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles. There it is again. The same phrase being repeated, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. So we see a messianic prophecy that was spoken 700 years earlier by the prophetic word and also captured by the pen of the prophet Isaiah and an aged man, Simeon, under the revelation of the Holy Spirit that this prophecy is now fulfilled for a child has been born that's going to be raised up in the house of Israel and cast a light to the people of Israel but also cast a light that would go to the Gentiles. Now, understand in the economy of God, in the language of the Scripture, we have two types of people living on the earth. We have the Jewish people of the covenant of Abraham, and we have the Gentiles, which means all nations. And so here in this promise made to Messiah and through Messiah, that the Messiah's light would not only illuminate the Jewish people, but his light would be a light that would cast far-reaching and would find those that sit in darkness. That would sit in darkness, and we would too would see a great light. And, the pro, and Simeon, the aged man of God, sees the fulfillment of this in the person and the infant child of Jesus. Isn't that powerful? Now let's go a little bit farther. The temple expectations were so great. Did you know Alfred Edersheim in his book on the temple services and the life and times of Jesus tells us that the temple was, had an expectation that, that there would be a, a holy illumination cast in it because of the light of Messiah to the degree that the window casements were cut smaller on the inside and larger on the outside, which is exactly opposite of the residential homes in Jerusalem at the time of the first century when it was reversed. But there was an expectation that when the Messiah came to the temple and the light of God flowed out of the temple in Jerusalem, that that light would be cast to the nations. So the expectation for the Messiah was high. It was high. And, and, but Israel themselves also considered themselves to a degree to be lights to the world because that they too had received the knowledge of God through the law. Let me give you an example of this because I want to talk about the light, the light today. So turn with me to Romans for just a moment. Romans chapter number 2. So we've got to do a lot of turning in the Bible today. Is that okay? We're going to learn. I will promise you something. When you walk away from here today, you're going to perhaps learn some things that you might not have known previously. It's what you do with that knowledge. And this, let's pick it up real quickly right here in the uh, 17th verse of the second chapter. Paul is writing to Jews. And in this context, he says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and you rest in the law, and you make thy boast of God, and you know his will, and you approve the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And so Paul's, in essence, referring to the value of the law. The law was a divine document. We, you've heard me preach many times. We have lost 
unfortunately, in Christendom in 2018, we have lost the value of the law of God. We think, well, don't put the law on me, and we don't see any good. I'm going to tell you, the law was a divine document. It was the, the first record of the Word of God. It was the script of God, the finger of God that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai when he penned the law of commandments on the tablet of stone. And so we see this here that Paul is even alluding to it and says, he said, you uh, have the law, you're instructed out of the law. And as a Jew, you're confident that you yourself are a what? A God of the blind and you're a light of them who are in darkness. You're an instructor of the foolish. You're a teacher of babes. You have the form of knowledge, and you have the truth in the law. And so the Jewish people perceived that it was their role as well to be lights. And that's why when we find them dispersed in 586 B.C. all over the known world due to the, uh, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, that when they went all over the known world, they established synagogues so that they might be a light in all of those foreign lands. And so let me go a little bit farther and try to put this together because I'm talking about light. There are lights. But then there's the true light. And Israel believed that they were the true light. And they believed that they, as they held out the law to all people, that they were fulfilling and satisfying that particular role. But I'll tell you what, John, both the Baptist and the apostle, believed that there was a light that could outshine that of ancient Israel. And so in John chapter number 1, it's a familiar passage of Scripture. If you'll go there with me, I love to read it. I love to think about it. We're going to just journey down it real quickly. It's nine verses. In the beginning was the Word. Man, doesn't that sound exciting? Just as in the beginning, before there was anything else. That's why I don't put any trust into any person that digs into the earth, pulls out a rock, and says this rock is 17 billion years old because like they were there in the beginning. I want to know from who was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him because He was the Word, and all things were made by the Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. There's not anything that's tangible on this planet that was not made without uh, the spoken creative power, the force of the Word of God. In Him was a life, and what was that life? It was the light of men. And the light does what? It shines into the darkness and the darkness does not what? It does not comprehend it. What does that mean? It does not overtake it. We could dim and turn off all the lights in this room and we could put a, a dark you know, cloth over all the doors and there was no entry of light outside penetrating in. And if someone lit one candle, all the darkness in this room cannot put out the light of that single candle. Right, And so the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness cannot put it out. It cannot comprehend it. It cannot overcome it. And there was a man that was sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. I came to talk about the light today. I know we live in a darkened world, but let me tell you, that light shone 2,000 years ago and is still shining bright today. He said, this light that all men through him might believe. Now, John, people thought that John was that light because of the prophetic anointing on his life. But John testified that he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light because that was the, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So Jesus was that light. Do you believe that today? Now, Jesus himself said that light is coming to the world. Now, turn over very quickly to John chapter number 3. We're going to just see what Jesus had to say about the light. In the 19th verse of the third chapter, Jesus said this. This is the condemnation, 
This is the condemnation, the issue that we're dealing with. He said, light has come into the world. But unfortunately, men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth the truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. So light is coming to the world, but unfortunately, men and women still love darkness. But it's our responsibility to continually to shine the light, to continually shine the light and trust that God's going to awaken them out of that darkness. Jesus, with Jewish imagery and expectations of the Jewish people being what God's called them to be, speaks to his audience, and once again, in another familiar passage that I want you to read, and I'm taking you on a journey, so if you'll stay here with me, I want you to see in Matthew chapter number 5, so the light has come into the world, Jesus said, but unfortunately, men like darkness. But Jesus has a word. He's not just to the Gentiles, he's to the Jew. And he has a word to the Jewish people. And this is one of the most familiar passages of Scripture that we have spoken about in the Christian church. And we often say that ourselves that God's called us to be light. But I want you to see this. I want you to see this in a little different context. This verse that we're going to see, verses 14, 15, and 16 in a moment, beginning at this 13th verse, we often allude to it through the church. And yes, there is an application of it to the church. But you have to see this. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. He himself is a Jew. And he's challenging the Jew to be who God's called them to be. And he said this right here to this Jewish audience. He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. But listen, he said, if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. But then Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Jerusalem was a city that set on seven mountains. It was called a city on a hill. And Jesus is referring to Jerusalem here. And he said, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And then he said, So let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so there was an expectation that when the Messiah came, that not only would he be a light to the Gentiles, but he would also awaken the purpose of the Jewish people to be a light to those that sit in darkness. But we're going to pick that up in a moment. Don't forget that thought. So I want to talk to you just even further. Did you know lights have been used ceremoniously to announce prophetic application for many, many hundreds of years? And so I want to show you something today and go into a little bit of history for a moment. Keep turning now. Turn back to the Gospel of John for a moment. Stay with me, the light. Don't lose that thought. I know you're saying, Pastor, where are you going with this? Stay with me, and you'll see it all come together. Have you ever put a puzzle together, and you're looking at it and going, there is no way that this is going to look like that, right? But if you stay the course in a process of time, all of a sudden, what you're working on began to look like what you were looking at, right? Stay with me today because I'm talking about the light, and I believe the true light has come, the light that can give light to all men. No matter where you are in your darkened place in life or in this world, let me tell you, there is a light that will pass through and penetrate into your darkness and give you the hope of eternal life. That light still shines, and there's not a government, there's not a false king, there's not another religion that can snuff out that light. That light shines and the darkness will not overtake it. And so in this passage here, I want to show you something, talking about this very quickly, that light has been used ceremoniously to announce prophetic application. 
Look at John chapter 10 and look at the 22nd verse because if you're not careful, you'll miss something here. It was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. Now, I'm sure that many of you have read that many times and gone right over the top of it and not understood the context. Jesus is walking in the temple during this time in Solomon's porch. And as he's walking, the Jews just kind of cut him off, get in front of him. They throng round about him, and they're pushing him, pressing him. And look what they say. How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. Let's pause real quickly, and let's see if we can put this on, put this together and make sense out of this. What is the Feast of Dedication? Has anybody ever, I know you have, heard of Hanukkah? And probably some of the modern translations might say Hanukkah. Let me explain that just a little bit to you, what that means, just very quickly if we can, for just a moment, because you have to understand this. Hanukkah is certainly a feast and, and a celebration that is, happens in, in, in the Jewish world to this very day. But it was also at the time of Jesus as well. And Hanukkah involves the lighting of a single candle every night for eight consecutive nights in the window casement of the homes that would have been in Jerusalem at that particular day. So if we kind of try to see this in the first century application, as the sun began to set uh, each uh, day of the beginning of, uh, of the Hanukkah feast that lasted seven days all the way until the feast was concluded, they would light a singular candle and the next night another singular candle. And they would also exchange gifts. And so uh, Alfred Edersham says that by the time that they got to the eighth night or, the, or the, uh, the, when they would light the eighth candle, then there, that the actual Jerusalem would be lit up at night because that light would be emanating from the homes all throughout the city. And so if this was later in the evening as Jesus is himself walking around Solomon's porch, that light is already beginning to take place. So there's a celebration. Now, Hanukkah, or the Feast of Dedication, was not a feast that they were commanded to, to observe according to the Mosaic Law. It came way, way, way after the law. Many of you may be familiar with it, but I'm going to take you into a little bit of the history of it today because there's a powerful prophetic principle in it that if we miss, we'll miss a part of this word today about the light. And so here's where it came from just very quickly. It's called the intertestament period. It's the time between the prophet Malachi and uh, the close of the Old Testament to, the pro to Matthew begins writing his uh, discourse of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They call that the intertestament period. Some call that the 400 silent years. And it was a time when the nation of Israel was, did not have sovereignty. They were always under the control of a, uh, uh, another government around them. And a particular time, just, just if, see if I can do this off of memory. I've got it written down, but I'll try to do it off of memory because I've studied this as much as uh, I can and feel like I'm halfway accurate in conveying this information to you. That When Alexander the Great died after having conquered the known world, he did not name a successor. And so his four generals were given four parts of his kingdom, and two of which Seleucus and Ptolemy that we need to make mention of just very quickly. Seleucus took, was given the area that's north of Israel that we would call Mesopotamia and would also include Syria uh, today. And then Ptolemy was given the southern part, and that was, would be in Egypt. And as the generations passed and the years passed, they, those two kingdoms began to war one with the other. And you know who was caught in the middle, the little sliver of land that we call ancient Israel. 
And the Seleucids especially began to long for the land of Israel because of their resources. And the fourth king of the Seleucids called Antiochus Epiphanes IV was a violent king with a deep, profound hatred of the Jewish people. And there came a particular moment, especially when he signed an edict that you could not practice Judaism whatsoever, none whatsoever. And if you were found to worship God according to the law and not worship the Grecian gods, then you would be slain. And I'm not talking just uh, killed. I'm talking about brutally slain. History records that this is one of the most brutal times of bloodshed in all of the land of Israel. And there was a priest that went rogue in those days. He was of the priestly lineage. He was not of Aaronic's household, but he was, a, he was a, a priest. He wasn't of the high priest, I should say, but he was a priest. He went rogue in those days, and he drew a band of men out into the woods and to the mountains with him, and he began to lead a rebellion. And he was called Matthias Hasmonian. And he had five sons. And they began to launch a little guerrilla warfare against the, the Seleucid kingdom. And God in his sovereignty began to give them victory. And then Matthias died and his leadership passed to his third son Judas who was known as the Maccabee. And the word Maccabee meant the hammer because of his ability to fight warfare. And there was a, during that time period uh, as Antiochus Antiochus had control of Jerusalem, he desecrated the temple. He defiled the temple. And he even took a sow and slew a sow on the, on the brazen altar in the court of the temple of the Jews. And then he took the blood of that sow and he put it all throughout the temple, defiling and desecrating the temple. But all the while, the Maccabeans are launching warfare, and there came a climatic moment of warfare where 40,000 men came against 6,000 of the Jews led by Judas of Maccabees, the Judas who's called the hammer, and God in his sovereignty, and how many know God is sovereign? In his sovereignty gave them great victory, and they won a victory, and they regained Jerusalem. And when they went back to Jerusalem, they discovered it defiled and desecrated, and they determined to cleanse it and to restore worship. And in the process of cleansing it, they wanted to erect the menorah. But even knows the seven-branch uh, candlestick that's in the holy place. And, but they didn't have enough kosher oil that would last uh, long enough to keep a feast. They had set a feast of seven days. All they had was enough oil for one day. And so miraculously, that amount of oil burned for the entirety of the eight days to satisfy the feast. And so from that, the tradition was established that on Hanukkah in celebration, it's called the Feast of Dedication. Hanukkah means dedication. That they would actually light one candle per night to commemorate those eight days that the oil in the temple did not go out because God miraculously provided as he brought about a restoration of worship. We're going to put a picture up here on the screen, if we can, Angie, right now, that will show. And you see the four on either side and one in the middle that I'm going to allude to here at the end of the message today. Many of you may be familiar with it. And so that was, that was in the context of them coming to Jesus and say, tell us plainly who you are. Are you going to be like Judas the Maccabean? Are you going to be like somebody that can raise, can, can raise up an army and begin to throw off of, uh, you know, off of this Roman occupation? And Jesus said, I told you, I told you before, and you didn't hear me. You didn't listen to me. Did, is that what he said in John chapter 10, verse number 25? Well, what's he talking about? I told you before. 
Now we're going to go back two months if we can. We're going to back it up. It's two chapters. It's in John chapter number 8. But Jesus, two months earlier, was in Jerusalem at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And at the Feast of the Tabernacles, it's the celebration of Israel coming out and dwelling in booths during the Exodus. Are y'all still with me out there today? Stay with me. I'll tell you what, this is good if you'll stay with me. I know I'm giving you a lot of knowledge, but how many know knowledge is power? Knowledge is power, and if you begin to understand these things, and so the Feast of Tabernacles is the celebration of Israel dwelling in booths, and at the the, the completion of the seven-day feast, there's also something called a dedication of the temple lights. And in, listen to this, in the court of the women, remember that the court of the women that I referred to earlier, in the temple in Jerusalem, there were three courts that were outside of the place of the, of the sacrifice where they, of, of the brazen altar. There was the court of the men or the court of Israel. And then there was the court of the women and then there was the court of the Gentiles. In John chapter number 8, Jesus is in the court of the women. This is where they bring the woman that's caught in adultery and cast him at his feet and that's where he's been teaching at. And and in this particular passage, in that particular area, at the end of that feast, in the four corners of the court of the women are large 75-foot lampstands that the Jews would light to celebrate three things. They would light to celebrate, number one, the fire of God that brought them out during the Exodus journey. Number two, that God was going to send a light, the Messiah, And that God was going to use the temple and his light to be a light to the world. And in that setting, in John chapter number 8, and I believe it's verse number 17 or 12, is that it right there? Jesus said this right here. He said, I am, say it with me right there, I am what? The light of the world. So if you put it in its historical context, here's Jesus standing beside four 75-foot candle uh, you know, I don't know what you would call that. It's a large uh, pillar with a, a, a candle on the top of it, a large flame. And Jesus would point at that and say, you think that's the light of the world, but I'm the light of the world. But they did not believe. Two months later, at the Feast of Dedications, whom Josepha calls the Feast of Lights, the Festival of Lights, they came to him and said, if you're really the Messiah, just tell us plainly. And we will believe. he said, I told you. And you did not believe. What did he tell? Because I'm the light of the world. And if you believe in him, you'll have a light of life. Do you believe that today? Now, unfortunately, church family, we're going to transition this message. Unbelief blinded the minds of most of Jesus' Jewish brethren. Is that true? Y'all go with me real quickly. I know you're saying, Pastor, you're giving me a lot to think on today. I know that's good. Well, me and Judy felt like it was good, but that's okay. Look at John chapter 1, verse number 11. Are you all with me? He came into his own, and what happened? His own received him not. Then turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see this today. Verse number 14. But their minds were blinded, for until this day there remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. And even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, that veil shall be taken away. So Paul is saying there's a veil on the minds of the Israelite people. Jesus came as the light of the world to the Gentiles, but he was also a light to the glory of Israel. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. 
Their minds were blinded in unbelief. And who blinded the minds of those who believe not? Go down farther in chapter number 4, verse number 3. Paul plainly says it right here. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost because the God of this world. This is why you do everything in your power to convey the gospel message. And you're saying, why will this person not understand? Because there is a demonic power. The God of this world that is blinding their minds. Blinding their minds to what? The blind has blinded their minds to them that which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For Paul said, We don't preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ. For God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And God has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I thank God that today I don't have a darkened heart before you. I thank God today I don't have darkened understanding today. I thank God that God shined the light of the love of God revealed through the person of Jesus Christ into my darkened heart. And now I can know God and have fellowship with him today. He is the light of the world and he's my light today. Isn't he yours? And I'm so grateful today for the light of God. Jesus exhorted his own disciples in John chapter number 12. He said, believe in the light. John 12, and I'm almost ready to close. I know somebody said, thank God. That's all right. It's a good word today. You're going to remember this message because I'm not finished. John chapter number 12, verse 35, look what he said. He said, There's a, it's a little while that the light is with you. He was talking to his Jewish brothers, his disciples, and he said, this time that this light is with you is but a short time. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have light, believe in the light. Now here's where it starts to transition. That you may be the, the children of light. The children of light. To be the children of light. How many know he's the light of the world? But how many know we can be the children of light? We can have that light of life in our heart and our life. And we can live every day to the glory of God. Did you know that even though many of Jesus' Jewish countrymen and brethren rejected him and did not believe, but do you know how many know that there were some that did believe? Every text of New Testament scripture that you've been uh, given come to you by a Jewish believer, right? Not all rejected him. Come on, somebody. And those that did believe, believed that it was their responsibility to be ambassadors for the light. Let me show you today real quick, and I've got two more passages, and then I'm closing real quickly today. Look at Acts chapter 13. We're reading it very, very quickly. This is the Apostle Paul, and now he's on what's called, Jojo, his first missionary journey. Now, remember the prophecy of Simeon. Don't forget this. This is the puzzle. The pieces are going to start coming together in just a moment. We've got the light of the world. He came to lighten the Gentiles, but he came to be a light to the glory of Israel. But the people of Israel, many of which were blinded to the truth and could not see, but some did see, and they believed, and they perceived that Jesus was the Son of God. And so now the gospel message is going to the Gentile world. For the first 10 years after the death of Jesus, the gospel never made it to the Gentile world. The, the, the apostles preached exclusively to the Jewish people. They preached a little bit when they went into Samaria and preached the gospel. But the Gentiles had not seen or heard of this great light. 
And so the Apostle Paul, commissioned by God to be the Apostle to the Gentiles, launches out on the first missionary journey. And he often would go to a Jewish synagogue, and he preaches the gospel. The 44th verse says, and the next Sabbath day, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. And when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy. And they spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul. And they contradicted and they blasphemed. And Paul and Barnabas grew bold. And sometimes you have to be bold. Sometimes you have to know that people sit in darkness, but you've got the light. So Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should have first been spoken to you. But you have put it from you. You have blinded your own eyes. You have stopped up your own ears. And you've judged yourself unworthy of everlasting life. So lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us. Remember Simeon's prophecy. And remember what Simeon was doing. He was quoting from Isaiah a messianic prophecy. And now here is a Jew, the Apostle Paul, who believes because of the revelation of Jesus Christ, he is not only a child of the light, but he's also an ambassador of the light. And he's going to take this light. And look what he said. God's put it in our heart to be a light to the Gentiles and that we would be sent for the salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard it, they were glad. You say, now, Pastor, how important is that to me sitting here today? Because it had not been for that significant moment right there. And if the Jews would have convinced Paul and said, Paul, go back to your Jewish community and never preach to the Gentile again, then you and I would not be in the kingdom today. But because Paul and Barnabas waxed bold because there was a bright and a shining light burning in them, and they were going to cast that light all the way past the Jewish community, all the way into the Gentile world, then you and I have seen, we sat in gross darkness, in sin and iniquity, but a light sprang up, and we saw that light, and we knew God was calling us to that light. And now you and I, you know what we are? Let's close as we turn to the book of Ephesians today. Who are we today? Let's go to Ephesians very quickly. And the Ephesians are Gentiles, correct? They're Gentile believers. Paul founded the church. Acts chapter 19 gives us the record. Now Paul's writing to them later. And he's speaking to Gentiles. Let's see if we can put all this together and let the puzzle come back together complete to finish this message today. I believe that it will. He said, this I say, therefore, you've heard me read this many times. I love this verse, verse 17, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. When I stand up here and tell you that when you're called as a child of God and you're distinctly different from the people that are around you, I want you to believe that. Listen, when you go out into the world, listen, I don't care how nice people are, you be nice back, but I'm, not, I'm saying this real quickly. If they're unsaved, there's a distinct difference in them and you you saw the light now what you want to do is be a light you can't live like you used to live in the futility of your mind the vanity of your mind he said this is how you used to live and this is how gentiles their understanding is darkened and they're alienated from the life of god because of the ignorance that's in them and in you in times past you were just like them and you walked in lasciviousness and you worked in all uncleanness with greediness but you have not so learned Christ, because if you have heard of him and you've been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now turn to the fifth chapter, the eighth verse, and we're going to start to bring this safely home and start to land this aircraft here. The eighth verse. You were sometimes darkness, but who are you now? What are you? What are, what are, I want you to know that today. 
You're going to go out into a darkened world, and they need to see and hear and know and understand that that light still shines because he shines through you. He shines through you. Walk as children of what? Of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, and it proves what is acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. And all things that are reproved are made manifest by the what? By the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Hold that last verse for just a moment of time. Philippians 2. We won't go, I won't turn there, but I'm just going to quote it. Paul said this right, right quickly. He said, you stand, you stand in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation as a light. As a light. That light has come to us, church family. An aged man of God, Simeon, was led into the court of the women where he found a couple with but turtle doves to offer. Turtle doves were the lowest of the offering. If you go back and you read the Mosaic Law, it said if you couldn't afford anything higher to offer, then you could use a turtle dove. So Joseph and Mary, in their poverty, are going to offer turtle doves in accordance with the law when an ancient man of God in full Jewish array comes out and sees the little child in the arms of its mother and he takes that child and he holds that child near and he speaks a prophetic word over that child in fulfilling the prophetic word spoken by Isaiah 700 years earlier that this child would be a light to lighten the Gentiles and for the glory of God's people Israel. A light to lighten the Gentiles. And today, let me say this very quickly. I want you to know today, I want you to know today that as a believer, God sends you forth to be an ambassador of the light. Because you're a child of the light. We are not in darkness. I will not stand up here in front of you and say, I don't know God. I will stand up here in front of you and say, I know him. I commune with him. I talk with him. I know him through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. I've seen that light. And he shines in my soul today. And he can shine in your soul as well. Did you know there's a psalm? If you'll put that psalm up there, Sister Angie, as we're closing today. And Aaron, would you join me on the platform? And I want to tie this all together very quickly in just a moment. Look at this psalm. The psalmist David said, God will light my candle. The Lord my God will do what? He will enlighten my darkness. How do you have your candle lit? You have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have to believe in Christ. He is that light. The 14th verse of Ephesians chapter number 5 says, Awake thou that sleepest, and Christ will give thee light. Come to him in faith and believe, and he will shine that light into your heart and mind, and you can know and commune with him. Let me show you how this works just very quickly in closing today. Because there's often picture images in the natural world. So I want to go back to Hanukkah. And why do I make mention of Hanukkah? Because Hanukkah is often, it coincides with Christmas, right? In more 
uh, Jewish populous areas in the United States, a lot of people say, Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, right? And it's because, did you know the original Feast of Dedication on the particular month that it fell was in November, December of our Gregorian calendar, but it would be under the Jewish calendar. Sometimes it's December, but it's the 25th day of the month. So it's, and it's the same, in essence, and that's when they rededicated the temple during the days of the Maccabean Revolt. And so that's where the similarities come from. Does that make sense a little bit? And then the gift-giving started, and it's kind of, uh, if you search it out, they've even got a little Santa Claus-like looking Jewish fellow. <laughs> he doesn't wear a red coat, he wears a blue coat. <laughs> and, so, and, and so there's a little bit of things kind of like that woven together. But the candle, the candle's what? The candle, it speaks of it. There's something here. Put that picture back up there if you would real quickly, if you can, Angie. And I I want to remind you in closing, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter number 12, he said, walk in the light and believe in the light while you've got the light with you. You've got to believe in it. You've got to believe in it. Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 that there's revelation contained in the natural world. And this particular candle is a Hanukkah menorah. Now, it's distinguished from the seven-branched candle stick that's in the... um, in the holy place in the temple. So I think most of you know that. There's seven on this one. There's nine here, but it was eight days. The one, they're, they're, they're all different. Some of them have just eight, and they have a, the, the one in the middle is over by itself. This particular one has it in the middle, and it's called the shamash, the shamash, because it means, it means it's the attendant, and it means it's the, uh, it's the actual candle that lights all the other candles. And so when I saw that, I thought to myself, that's what Jesus is. That's what Jesus is, that attendant candle. Because if you were to have t- taken all the flames, we'd have saw that before. They would, all the candles would have been unlit, except for the shamash, the light. Jesus is the light. And his light has to go into the next candle over in order for that candle to burn. And that's the way it is with us. We have to come to Jesus who is the light and he will lighten your darkness. I can promise you that today. He will. If you came in this house today and you say, Pastor, what's this darkness that you're talking about? The darkness is when you don't know God. It's when you don't understand, have fellowship with God and communion with God. I want you to know if you'll put your faith And trust in Jesus Christ. He will lighten your candle today. He will light. You will have the light of life on the inside of you. Burning brightly and deeply in your soul. And you will have have fellowship with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense today? Our heads are bowed.